Art Yourself Alive podcast with your host Vicky Parker, sharing lived experience stories of the power of creativity to support your mental health and well-being. So welcome to this podcast episode today, and I am so pleased to bring you this wonderful guest, a really, really lovely friend who I met many, many years ago when we were both in Zoo Choir in Lewis, and her name is Kalsa Morgan, and she is a poet, a singer-songwriter, an author, and a menstruality mentor. She stands for free creative expression, openness, honesty, and vulnerability and nature-centered cyclical living. Now, all of that sounds absolutely delicious. And I'm really, really excited about this conversation because it will be the first time that we bring in the nature of cycles, the nature of the feminine, the nature of divine wisdom of the menstrual cycle and creativity and all that kind of flow. And so before we deep dive into that, let's say, a big welcome to Kalsa. Kalsa, how are you, my love? Oh, really excited to be here. Thanks, Vicky. Oh, you're absolutely welcome. Um, so let's dive deep in straight away, because as we always do on this podcast, I'm absolutely interested in your the spark of aliveness and the spark of the inner child playfulness that was within you from a very, very young age. So I'm going to invite you straight away to tell us about your childhood memories of how you used to play. Mm. As a child, I, well, I grew up in Bantry Bay and I had the sea at the bottom of my garden and I used to walk up and down the garden making up stories all day. Like, I was just so into the imaginary world and I used to even dictate stories to my parents to write down like way before I could write. And I made up worlds that I would share with my friends and invite them to play in. There was like a family of moles that lived in our garden. There was a land called Gloryville that my sister and I used to play in with beautiful purple flowers on the wall. And it was very much about a space where we could just enjoy nature. It was always around flowers and in the garden and connected to the sky and the sunsets and the sea. And I used to make up my stories and also songs, make up songs from a very early age, but I didn't really realize when I look back, I didn't really realize what I was doing. It just was naturally flowing through me. Yeah. Wow. So Cape Town, South Africa, what was that like for a child? Well, in a way, it was a very sheltered upbringing. We were driven everywhere. It was very um, private, very segregated society back then in the 80s, really quite a strange environment to grow up in. But what I loved was going to the forest and being by the sea. And I didn't like the sandy beach so much because of my sensitivity, but I loved being in the forest and I would disappear and sit on these rocks far away from my the rest of my family and connect with the tree beings. And in my garden, it was very much about the fairies, just playing with the fairies in the garden. So yeah, just having a really, I think my imagination got me through a lot of the challenges of growing up and allowed me to feel safer and feel like I had somewhere that was just mine to go to. 
Yeah, one escape for me was my gran. She had a cottage in our garden. She lived with us as well. And that was my refuge and sanctuary from a lot of the tensions that were going on in, in my the, the, the home that I shared with my parents and my sister. And I'd go there and play with her owls. She had a collection of owls that I would play with for hours and make up all kinds of little stories with them. So I have still a soft spot for owls. I still have a couple hanging in my caravan doorway to remind me of that. And also of my gran who um, really supported my creativity and took me to the library and introduced me to books and really encouraged my writing from an early age. So this lovely little world that you're making, I'm already seeing that um, when you're talking about talking to tree spirits and fairies and the owls, you're already having dialogues with other characters and other beings. I'd love you to talk through more about what those kind of conversations were like. Well, it just... Yeah, just writing stories about the moles and other characters. And I think it was a way for me to also work out what I saw in the adults around me through these characters. And, you know, there was the grumpy owl and there was the happy owl and all that kind of thing. And it was a way to kind of express my emotions safely. I felt very safe in that environment at my, at my granny's cottage. And also writing these, writing these stories was an outlet for... Yeah, it was just an outlet for me to express me. I was a very solitary child and I liked to play on my own for hours. Like I'd get up early in the morning, just play for hours before my sister was born, uh, who's my, who was younger than me. And um, yeah, it was, I can't remember in detail those early stories, but I do remember writing the first book <laughs> that I wrote. The first proper book was about a girl band. I, I used to love a TV show back in the eighties about this girl band where they all had that kind of blue and pink hair and, I was really into these characters, so I, I made up a story about them. And I would illustrate them as well. I used to draw and um, bring the words and the drawings together when I could actually write. So I really enjoyed that. Yeah, and you've really taken that through into your adult life as well, because you are an author and you are a poet. Mm. And I'm wondering, I, I, read, I read on your website, actually, about you singing. And obviously, mm. I've seen you singing many times. Obviously, we sang together in the choir. And I've seen your lives and your YouTube videos of your beautiful little simple songs. And you're playing your ukulele and talking about nature and talking about dreams and talking about all sorts of beautiful things. And how does that relate back to this kind of singing that used to come through you um, when you were a child? Yeah, I think you've got it there with the simplicity. You know, the, the songs that come through the best for me now are when I just sit down and start playing, you know, just playing with my ukulele or my harmonium sometimes as well and just see what comes through. It's not really about sitting down and trying to write a song. Yeah, it's like that's how I connect with the creative spirit is really allowing it to be this fun, playful time. I notice that whenever there's a goal and there's a kind of, thing that I'm aiming for that can feel more pressured and I did have to go through a process later a bit later in sort of uni with uni and school I think really squashed a lot of that in making it very goal orientated mm. so my kind of gifts for writing were picked up but then there's a certain pushy energy that comes with that of achieving and then it becomes less fun so it, as an adult I've really been reclaiming that sense of you know, I'm just going to play with this and give myself permission without needing to achieve anything. And sometimes drawing can be really lovely for that because I don't consider myself a visual artist. It's not something that I excel at. So sometimes just doing some drawing or painting is more of a direct access to that free creative spirit because there isn't that association with 
well, I'm a writer and I need to write something really good. Yeah. So I like playing around with different, different forms of creativity. And it's only very recently, like the last sort of five years, and even especially the last two years that I've started to really write, write songs and explore improvising music and seeing what comes through in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really interesting that you talk about that um, sense of the structure, the external structure, specifically of education that seeks to, you know, control and channel children's creativity in a very specific way and harness it, like you say, into some kind of outcome or product and really kind of miss the point of process and just being in it. And uh, I'm wondering what, about what age was it that that kind of happened to you when they started, you know, shutting it down for you? Well, some of my earliest memories in school was that I used to sing all the time in class from when I was five. And I remember getting into trouble for that and being sent to the headmistress's office. That wasn't the only thing I got into trouble for. That was, that was <laughs> <the theme. laughs> um, just generally wasn't very good at understanding or obeying the rules. And the singing thing was something that yeah, it was really disruptive to them. And I also wanted to read all the time. I wanted to be in the book corner of the books, not doing the other lessons that were less interesting to me. So um, that's when it started to feel like, oh, there's something not okay about the way that I am. And that, yeah, and that kind of, it continued with the pressure in academia to, once I started getting, you know, high marks in school, then it was this pressure to always maintain that. And it became less joyful. It just became more... Yeah, I suppose that cookie cutter, like factory thing of just producing something. And it was actually, I remember it coming to a head in university when I did a poetry course and it was, yeah, that should have been joyful. Poetry is one of my loves, but it, it actually was felt very constraining mm. and a bit formulaic. And after that, I had to kind of recover from it all and use The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron, which is a really brilliant, well, extremely well-known book and course of recovery of one's creative spirit. And I used that to get back out of my writer's block because actually I'd stopped writing for fun and pleasure by then which is really sad but I got it back through using these tools so I'm really grateful to Julia Cameron and other other writers as well like Natalie Goldberg she's been brilliant as well in just talk, speaking to free writing like just writing and seeing what wants to come out without any kind of editing or agenda. I love that you've put it like that that you actually need to recover from mm. it and mm -hmm. finding those tools. I, I'm totally with you there on The Artist's Way and Julia Cameron. Absolutely wonderful tool. If, if people haven't heard of that, do look that up because it just allows you those portals back into that joy, back into that permission um, on all levels. It doesn't have to be about writing, it's about any kind of creative process. And it just mm -hmm. allows you to re-identify with that creative spirit artist within yourself. And I'm so pleased that you found her and I'm so pleased that it had that effect for you. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, she's wonderful. And the artist dates is one of the tools in the book that I still use as well as yeah. morning pages to give that sense of adventure and magic of, yeah, I'm going to take myself out and, and treat myself to some new experiences and that will feed back into my creativity. And it's so important, isn't it, to keep refreshing the experience, keep having some kind of daily practice. I'm with you on the morning pages. I do morning pages every day as well. And it's mm -hmm. it always astonishes me that um, you can start off maybe just writing something quite matter of fact. Or, you know, you might even your to do list might pop out in the first sentence or something like that. But by the end of the three pages, 
you are transported into another world. And I quite often end my morning pages with a poem. So it kind of crystallizes what I've just written and integrates it all for me. And, and by that time, I, I've moved beyond whatever mood I might have been in in the morning when I woke up. Oh, wonderful. Yes. Yes. I always feel I get to a deeper layer with my morning pages. And recently I did an experiment of when you were saying about capturing that, you know, in a, in a little poem, I did an experiment of writing a haiku every day, just from what was happening that day and posting it, sharing it on social media uh, with a photograph, because I also like to express creatively through photography and, and have done a course in that in the past. And yeah, I really enjoyed that, just having that little challenge and structure to just playfully put together some impressions from the day and share that with people. Mm. So important for our meaning making of why, why we're even here, why we're in this body, why we're having this journey, you know, why we're connected to the world and the people around us. We need ways of sorting that experience out, don't we? Mm, definitely. And that's a big part of what I've been doing with my writing all these years is, yeah, making sense of my experience, making meaning and creating narrative out of it that and it's so healing like both on the level of the actual writing itself but also in the sharing of it and what's reflected back sometimes as well in what how it lands with people yeah when you read your writing back how does it land with you I do have a very strong inner critic and perfectionist which will always find currently I'm reading my second book as a podcast basically an audiobook with chap you know chapters divided into episodes and as I'm hearing it, I'm no, I will still notice the things that I think I would like to change. I'm often quite amazed when I read my own writing or hear it back. It's sometimes I can't remember that I've even written that or said that. So when did I actually, I don't have an embodied memory of writing it. It was just so of the moment. And often my poems come out of my just free writing, journal writing and including morning pages. So it's very much of the moment. And when I hear it back, it's very healing for me. It helps me connect to myself. It helps me recognize my unique voice and how that is a thread running through everything, like all the things that have happened. Uh, somehow there's this, there's this comfort in that. There's a beauty in that. No, there really is. I love that. I mean, everybody has a unique voice and everybody has that golden, like golden thread through line, you know, through all of their experience. And when you put it into some kind of creative process, you you help yourself identify that through line for yourself. And it is very grounding and it is very calming. I absolutely resonate with that. Yeah. Mm. Oh, delicious. Oh, oh, I'm so I'm so enjoying talking to you about your your process, because obviously I've listened to some of your chapter reading and I've listened mm. to some of your songs and I just love this connection with nature that you have. Why are you so drawn to involving nature in your creative process? Oh, that's a big question. I mean, nature was always my friend and my place of belonging. When I didn't feel that sense of belonging with people, I found people quite overwhelming, bewildering, scary often, and as a child. And yeah, just being in nature felt like nothing, nothing is expected or demanded of me there. There's nothing different that I have to be. And I always felt this deep peace. And uh, growing up in a, in a country that had a very outdoor culture and you know, warmer weather obviously helped as well. But I deeply fell in love with the English and just generally the UK landscape and was very drawn to move here. And this, this does very much feel like my land. And yeah, still day to day. I mean, I live outside. I live in my caravan on a field and I can't imagine living in a house anymore. It feels really strange to be in walls and separated from elements and the weather to that extent. And yeah, I just think I feel most fully myself in nature. I feel 
I feel like when I'm in nature, I'm learning a lot about just the absolute rightness of everything, which includes me, you know, and, and just the, and cycles, you know, the cycles that seeing the different seasons pass in the external nature and experiencing each one as beautiful is such medicine for me in my own journey. Yeah, I can really hear that. You, you described that really beautifully. I just picked up on that sentence that you just said, which is just gorgeous. And that was nothing different that I have to be. Mm-hmm. And that to me is absolutely how I feel in nature as well. But that's also how I feel when I'm in the creative process, when I fully surrendered, when I have full permission to disappear into the artwork or disappear into the song, I literally don't have to be anything else but me either. Mm -hmm. And that's such a wonderful place to be able to get to within yourself. I think that's so healing. Mm, Yes. And then there's this essence that just comes out and shines more and more, you know, and when you were saying that it reminded me of the first time I got up and sang in front of people on my own I sang in choirs since childhood and really enjoyed that love singing with people but I'd had the secret burning desire to get up and and sing in front of people absolutely terrified me (laughs) and I remember being at a group gathering at the end of a five rhythms movement uh, movement meditation course that I'd been on where I'd really come to love and trust the people there I felt like they were soul family and there was a closing gathering where everyone was getting up and sharing anything from singing to stand-up comedy to poems on the stage and I think I did a poem because that had kind of become my comfort zone by then. I was used to getting up. I'd done spoken word for a while, but the singing was the edge and that's the edge I hadn't gone to yet. And I watched this friend of mine get up there and sing so beautifully with her guitar. And I felt so jealous that I just, it was so uncomfortable, but something in me was like, don't, you know, actually channel this jealousy. Like don't just sit there and feel it. Like, so I asked her in the interval if she would play guitar for me because I couldn't play any instruments at that point. And I could sing with her and we sang a Joni Mitchell song together. And it was just, yeah, I got up there. And as soon as I started singing, like all that fear and anxiety just disappeared. And I felt something come through. And then after that, I was asked to sing at a friend's birthday. It was like a big, like a 40th birthday, terrifying. And the feedback I got was like the purity of it. Like I think for me, it was there's um, there's an innocence and purity that I tap into when I'm singing. That's not of me. You know, it's like beyond me. And because I'm letting that through, it's like all those ego fears just disappear. And I'm really grateful for that because I know it can become very performancey as well if one's a professional singer. And I've not become a professional singer. So it's very much something I want to keep as being very live and fresh and real in the moment. Yeah, I really resonate that when you said that it's it's coming from somewhere that's beyond you. I absolutely have that same experience when I'm drawing. I have that experience when I'm singing as well, actually. Yeah, it mm-hmm. is quite a transformative position, that spot on the stage when you're in front of an audience and you let that voice come through. And I love that phrase that you just used, the edge I hadn't gone to yet. I mean, I know you're a writer, but I do love this. I do love the phrases that you're coming out with because that is a beautiful symbolism for life, isn't it? For, you know, you know, to move beyond any blocks that you have in your own mindset about what you can and you can't do, what you are or you aren't allowed to do. All of those are our edges, aren't they? You know, and that exploration of our edges is such a wonderful place, a scary place to be, but a completely necessary place to be, to be able to grow. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, the, and I'm so grateful for the people that have helped me with that, that have been there to just kind of cheer me on and encourage me. The, the woman who I met at a community camp who was playing ukulele, playing one of my favorite songs. 
And when I came over, just going, oh, I'll teach you. And then I ended up getting my own ukulele and just all those little moments of, yeah, being helped to come to that edge. But I think for me, the singing was so much more vulnerable than the writing because the writing, I could still hide behind the page a bit. You know, people could read it and I'm extremely raw and open and honest in my writing. But somehow, yeah, it's still, it's like these words are representing me right now. That's something I wrote in the past. But when I'm singing, it's, you know, it's happening right now, isn't it? It's like being a channel right now to something. It's always going to be new. So I love that. I love the magic of that and and the vulnerability as well that can come through. Yeah. And actually, you can really see that when you listen to you singing. You can really see that simplicity and that vulnerability and the innocence of it. Yeah. Yeah. So in a way, you know, sometimes I've had the story that, oh, if only I'd really developed my singing when I was young, you know, and really done something with it. What if I'd been in a musical family, like friends of mine who grew up in massive musical families, they've just always played instruments and been in bands. And that was just part of their culture. And it wasn't in mine. But then I then I think, well, maybe it would have become more of this kind of let yeah, it would have lost that innocence and been a bit more forced. You know, my sister used to play the flute and she lost interest in it after a while because there was so much geared towards um achieving and doing exams and things like that. So I'm grateful that that I can actually come back to it now when I'm ready for it and yeah, explore it on my own terms. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Gosh, what a lovely landscape you've painted of, you know, the creative synchronicities in your life the you know the inspirations in your life and I'm just wondering now as we move on would you like to share a challenge that you've had in your life with our listeners where it's really clear for you that your creative process has supported you in moving through that kind of challenge Mm. so yeah I had two periods of homelessness in my 30s Uh, Well, one was right at the end of my 20s. And that was when I made the decision to leave my relationship with my son's dad. He was then, my son was just under two. And it was a huge leap of faith into the unknown because I didn't, at that point, I didn't have my British residency yet. So there was nothing that I could rely on financially and having a small child and not being able to work full time. It was extremely challenging. So I did some couch surfing for six months, just staying at various friends and the uncertainty and instability of that was really challenging and just not knowing, you know, when I was going to have a home basically and journaling and writing really helped me through that as well as just creatively creating networks. That's something I've always really been grateful that I have is this ability to make connections with people and create networks. And that was what allowed me to survive and even thrive in that period. And I started doing five rhythms, movement, uh, meditation, dance classes, which was a new creative outlet for me through dance. I'd always liked dancing intuitively, but I'd never given myself to it as a practice. And I discovered so much about myself in that it made me a lot more embodied. And I think that also fed into my other forms of creativity as well, because I was more, more connected to myself and more confident as well. So yeah, the dancing was a big one. I started going to five rhythms, weekends and longer courses away and connecting with community through that and just discovering, wow, like almost reinventing myself. Like this is, this is a strong, resourceful person as well as vulnerable that I can be not just stuck in this old way because I had been with a partner who wasn't, we weren't on the same path, this creative path and soulful path and we needed to split away so I could fully dive into that. So it was a whole new beginning for me. And then again, when I was 38 or 37, actually, I got it. I was, my son was then nine 
almost 10 and we got an eviction notice in our house in Lewis and only because they wanted to renovate it, but it left us in a position of, it was suddenly impossible to afford anything else in the area. And my son decided to move in with his dad, which was a real shock. And at that point I had to decide what to do, you know, what, what situation I was gonna create for myself living wise. So I decided to go on the road with my then partner and live in a van with him and just look for our next home together. So that was a huge adventure. And, and as soon as I started living in the van, that was the next level of my nature connection journey because I'd got rid of all the structures that were, you know, nature connection was a big part of my life, but it was still part of this urban life where in the day it was like part of my to-do list must go for my nature walk and then fit in all the hundred other things of being a single mom and juggling work and juggling a household and doing a lot of it, most of it on my own. But actually being able to deeply immerse in nature because we we traveled and stayed in like forests and in nature reserves and things like that in the mountains of Wales and that kind of thing really connect with the spirit of nature without any of that pressure and go back to this pure simplicity my writing just came alive and I started writing what then became my most recent book uh, the wild wandering arc which is about that year that journey of how um, nature connection was part of my healing from childhood trauma but also the conscious relating you know living with my partner in this tiny space it was very challenging in lots of ways as well as amazing and being separated from my son was you know a huge grief process and such an adjustment in who I am in this world like moving through this world as a mother you know it's not something I expected was to no longer be a day-to-day -day mother when my son was only 10 I thought that would come much later so it was huge and I think that's that was a real gift for my writing because I really went deeper with my autobiographical writing. My previous book, Wild Motherhood, was also autobiographical, but it was also based on my qualitative research with other mothers. So it was a bit more academic. And this one was more like raw first person account kind of thing. So I gave myself permission to go deeper and more kind of visceral with my writing. And that was, yeah, that was very much through giving myself that space that came about through a seeming loss you know, a big loss of a home, steady home and parenting status and parenting closeness. No, I can really hear that. Thank you so much for sharing that. You know, mm. there's these challenges, the challenges that we're bringing forward when we're talking about it, we're talking about our autobiographical stories, you know, they go so deep. And I'm really, I'm really honored at the fact that you gave yourself permission, that I'm witnessing you giving yourself permission to go so much deeper with that to really tell your story and to really know yourself from the inside out. Mm. Such a process when you write a book. I haven't written a book, so I don't know what that means. So I mean, I'm in, I'm in awe of anybody that writes a complete book, never mind two. <laughs> <laughs> and so let's, let's move on from that then. Let's talk about how you do share your wisdom into the world, because you're not just a creative. You are what you've said is a menstruality mentor. Can you mm. tell us a little bit more about that and what that work involves? Yeah, so I, I fell in love with menstrual cycle awareness a good few years ago and then trained as a menstruality mentor in 2019 with the Red School. And what it was about for me was noticing that I'm a changing being through the month. You know, I had these different times of feeling more productive and less productive and more social and less social and really starting to embrace that and look at my menstrual cycle as rather than being an annoyance or something that needs to be got away from in order to fit into the productivity that our largely capitalist society is requiring of us, that how we can actually use it as 
impetus and medicine inspiration for a more whole life and a more true life like really living close to the bone of who you are because you're listening deeply to what your body is saying and this is also you know going for beyond beyond the menstruating years into menopause and the gifts and learnings of that as well which I've not embodied yet but it's all part of the whole arc of the being you know in this female bodied experience that we can access and it's it's been not only overlooked and dismissed but often denigrated hugely for so many years so it's for me it's really powerful to reclaim that and I learned a lot about how it corresponds with my creativity as well you know the times of the month that I might feel more creative or how creativity manifests in different ways so there's a for example in the spring phase of the cycle which is just before ovulation you might find that there's more of a like a playful energy you know there's like this beginning it's the time of beginnings and try new things out so it's not really a time to push things and do like pushy goal oriented creative projects but it's more about hey let's brainstorm this idea or let's play around with how would it sound if we did this and so I've really started to utilize that energy quite consciously and take that pressure off and then moving into the summer metaphorically the which is the ovulation phase it's like the full blooming you know when we see everything come fully alive in the nature around us that's what's happening inside so using that energy to harness to really birth something into the world whether that be you know a whole book or just a blog post or just a blog post or a song so I tend to try and like harness that energy and bring something out at that time because often that energy needs that to be fulfilled there's such a like a rising it's like this rising sap in the spring and then it blossoms into full life and then there's the more testy um autumn you know which i let which which was actually a lot what led me towards this menstruality work like many women having a challenge with the menstrual cycle is what leads you to start looking at it so i had really bad pms so that led me to actually look at you know what's going on there what can i do to improve that and I learned so much about my premenstrual week or the, or the autumn time that I now no longer I actually really enjoy that time most often. It used to be such a struggle because it's a time of, you know, just as the leaves fall from the trees in nature at that time, we let go of anything that we don't need in order to be, you know, stripped back to the bare essence of who we are and what the true gift of that is. And that's not always easy. You know, that can be really rocky when, especially when there's pressure from, our schedules and society around us to keep you know up a certain level of togetherness and productivity so a lot of the work I do is like giving permission encouraging those who have menstrual cycles to really yeah give themselves that gentleness and compassion at that time and and be open to the gifts that it can bring because actually our insight wisdom and discernment at that time in the premenstrual week can be really strong so, so with a creative project that could be a time to see something you've been working on for a while like actually what needs to go you know what can I let go of in this what's what's like the extra flab that's not really contributing and how could I get it more down to its essence and finally ending up in winter the, like the resting phase of the menstruation and, and just going in it's it's the potentizing phase where you come back to what am I really doing this for like what is the meaning of what I'm creating you know what's the real where's its place in the world and going really quiet to hear that and that in turn then gives birth to another cycle of fresh you know new beginnings and insights birthed from that previous cycle every time you can go deeper it's like this never ending spiral so that's yeah that's what I discovered with the work and and then training us with the red school and bringing that to 
to others through many running courses, menstrual cycle awareness courses, which were really amazing. I've done lots online. I'd love to do some in person soon now that things have opened up again. Mm, gosh, just listening to you talk through that cycle, it's really making me reflect on how I used to be when I was still in the menstruating cycle. <laughs> mm-hmm. Gosh, yeah, I, I always used to remember mine. And I used to think somebody, somebody told me a long time ago that women only get PMS because it's the time of the month where they've stored up everything that they haven't been able to say in their own authentic voice until mm-hmm. that moment. And that moment is when it pops. And so you should actually listen to what they're saying in that moment, because that is the truth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely agree. Yeah. And I lo- and I really love that. And I always used to really embrace it as well. I used to, I do remember that I had a real reverence for that cycle and for for the permission for me to go deep, like you're just saying in that winter phase, because an, a, a thread that's running through everything that you've been saying is about finding your way through these imposed structures, whether it be education, whether it be society, whether it be, you know, living in a building, you know, all of these things, but actually getting back to that authentic expression of the way things really move in a fluid way in nature and within within a human. And I'm just absolutely loving that reflection. And But I would ask you, I've got a question for you. What would you ask a menopausal woman about their creative process? Mm. <laughs> Obviously, this is about me. <laughs> <laughs> what would I ask them about it? Yeah, mm. what would you ask? Because you're not in that phase yet. Mm-hmm. But I, I've already done a, I did a wonderful kind of shamanic doula ceremony for like a closing and gratitude for the womb when I finished my menstrual cycle. It was absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I gave all honoring to it, even though I never birthed any children. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always considered my birthing to be more about the creative projects that I bring into the world. I still had that, you know, desire to honor the cycles that had taken me through such beautiful clearing processes every month and really kept me sane, I believe. Mm -hmm. I think it's absolutely at the core of bringing women to their authentic truth when Mm -hmm. they're in that cycle. But I said goodbye to it in a sacred way and then moved into this menopause cycle. And I feel for me in my um, creativity that it has completely blossomed Mm -hmm. since then. Yes. I'm really curious about that. There's something I hear from postmenopausal women that I'm really looking forward to because I think, I think what I'd like to know about is 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 it more steady and consistent your output? Because this this obviously this this change <laughs> through the month. I mean, literally the hormones don't stay the same for more than a few days, and even then yeah. there's some changes within that. So yeah, how does it feel to have to have that? That's a really good question because yes, it is more consistent and it's more, it's deeper. Mm -hmm. And because when you move into menopause, it really is the phase of the giving of no more Fs, you know what I mean? And, and it's like, you're really true in your sovereignty and your autonomy because Mm -hmm. you've done all the putting on the mask of a persona of what it means to be a woman. Mm. And now you've moved into the crone wisdom phase and you are what you are and you're just going to say what you're going to say. And I was always worried that I was always worried that there was going to be still a cycle at play where you might still move into like a premenstrual phase and still have the mood swings and all Mm. of that kind of stuff. But you don't get that. It actually really does fall away Mm. and it becomes part of a more magical, mystical related to the cosmos cycle for me. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. I feel like I'm in a cycle, but I don't feel like it's tied to monthly. Yes. But I do feel like the creative expression is deeper, more vibrant, more on point, more truthful and more consistent. Mm. Yeah, more consistent. Oh, I love hearing about that depth. And I mean, a lot of men, what I've heard from postmenopausal women is often they, they, they like to follow the moon, you know, or find that they naturally are in sync with the moon. But yours, what I hear you saying is it's not monthly, it's a larger cycle, it's cosmic. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It really does make me notice the organic nature of the creative flow that I that I have. And there are definitely cycles that happen, but it's almost like the monthly cycle gave me a blueprint for understanding that there is that spring gestation period, you know, and then the blooming period and then the falling away and then the going to ground and integration period. I mean, that's very reminiscent of the gestalt cycle, isn't it, of anything um, that you need to have those periods of growth and death and periods of growth and death in order for, you know, for, for new inspiration to come in. But I don't like I said, it doesn't it's not constrained to monthly, but it's definitely necessary for me to complete cycles. Mm. yeah I think it's it's brilliant what you've spoken to there the larger creative cycles we're part of because each of those phases could you know one of those phases could last months in one's life whether you're yeah. meditating or not you could be in those phases with birth in a new business or a new creative project um, and it was really potent what you said about it keeping women sane you felt like it's keeping you sane the cycle um, and I think that's so true because you know, without that, yeah, that we run into that unsustainability thing, just as we have in our on our planet of, you know, keeping on insisting on being in an eternal summer, essentially, yeah. rather than actually having periods of rest and pause and decay and death and letting go, then nothing new can be birthed. It just becomes dry. If we had summer all the time, we'd be dry and devoid of any new inspiration eventually. So yeah, it does keep, keep us sane. And what's really sad is that because most of us don't have this knowledge growing up or even now as adults it's 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 becoming much more widely known but still there's kind of a long way to go before it's completely mainstream and so a lot of people a lot of people are struggling with the sense that there's something wrong with them if they're feeling like a mood change at a certain time of the month or they're feeling less up to keeping up with things and they and they're forcing themselves to carry on it's the most common thing that i hear and yeah for me it's been such a journey of learning to listen to my body in that and really slow down when I need to. And yeah, definitely much more sane making. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of what we're expected to keep up with is just completely insane. So, yeah. I think you're absolutely right about that insistence on staying this in the eternal summer, because that mm-hmm. is essentially why I left education in the first place, because it was, an, it was a never ending summer of expectation mm-hmm. of output and achievement and, you know, mm-hmm. reaching your levels. And I always, as the drama teacher, you know, I used to work in creative cycles with my students, but the way that the school operated, there was never any chance to let go and go back to ground. Oh. Never any chance. Yeah. And that used to really frustrate me and no wonder everybody was always on a catching your breath cycle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is so depleting for the yeah. nervous system. And that's why yeah. menstrual cycle awareness in itself, just having awareness of it, not even changing anything, just noticing it is so soothing for the nervous system. It's a really important set of tools. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lovely. So have you noticed then what kinds of things do you write or express creatively at different times of the month? I tend to come up with new songs more in my spring and new 
like ideas for maybe workshops I want to run that kind of thing like I just do brainstorming on that it's much more yeah I'm much more drawn to just sitting down at my instruments and seeing what comes writing little poems doing free writing and then summer I'm particularly towards the end of my summer I often feel like I really want to share yeah I want to share something you know with with the world at large I want to put something out there yeah in my autumn I actually it, it sounds paradoxical but I can be at my most productive because that is when I feel like right let's get on with it spring and summer I can be much more socially oriented like a lot of my energy is going more into my relationships my friendships my social life and just enjoying life and then autumn is like okay what are all those things that I haven't finished yet or got on with I really want to just see some results now and like get you know kind of knuckle down so that can be when I actually would for example be editing my book or even just just making some progress on something like solid proper progress on something and uh, that focus seems to be more accessible to me at that time uh, because I'm going, my focus is going internal. It's like the tide turns from spring and summer is more of an outer focus generally. And then autumn and winter is more of an inner. And I actually thrive with inner focus because I am, you know, highly sensitive. And in our, in our training, they used to talk about the, the via negativa and the via positiva or yin <laughs> and yang. Via negativa being that darker side of the cycle. So the autumn and winter and the via positiva being the other one, spring and summer. So and that the fact that we can be via negativa or via positiva people, you know, where are we in our most comfortable zone for, for people who are really most, you know, maybe more extroverted, more comfortable in that first half of the cycle, they might struggle more in the other. And for me, it's like, I feel like I've come home more in my autumn and winter, particularly winter. I love it. I love feeling that deep connection to myself and that that so feeds my creativity on a deep. Mm -hmm. Oh, I totally resonate with that. I'm, I'm most at home in my winter. Ah. Yeah, I don't know whether that's because I'm a November baby. Who oh. knows? Is, I wonder if it's related to that, but I'm most at home in there, most at home in the dark, in the shadows, in the mulch. Yeah, you know, in the Not like a Scorpio, are you? No, I'm a Sagittarian, end of oh, end of November. Okay. Um, okay. Then again, I'm also a Pisces moon. So that really allows me access to the darker shadow self, mm. the deep emotional river of emotion self. And I'm very, very comfortable where, there. I like being sparkly and I like being out there and doing spring and summer, you know, interacting. Mm -hmm. I do like that, but I am a natural introvert. introvert. Yeah. And um, I do regain my power, regain my connection to myself in complete solace and in gazing inwards. Mm, yeah, solitude such a such a medicine. Yeah, yeah. I'm Pisces Sun, actually. Definitely can relate to that. Ah, <laughs> oh, well, I didn't know that about you. That of course we have an alignment. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mine's quite. Uh, it's quite a tricky one because as a Sagittarius Sun, I would seem to be very outgoing and you know mm. wild and 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 lively. But with the Pisces Moon as the opposite of that, it's quite a tricky. Mm. journey to navigate because people would never know that I had that depth yeah until I oh, really I showed it, it. <laughs> <laughs> I always knew it <laughs> but that, that's the thing people who've got close to me did know that and actually mm. that's one beautiful thing about the menopause is the comfort in sharing the vulnerability of that depth and that inner self mm -hmm. actually and so my artwork has only really blossomed 
in this later period now um, because I'm in the autumn of my own life cycle. Exactly. Yeah. As and well, aren't I? And, and it's really interesting that you are sharing that wisdom around increased productivity and wanting to get things done and things, you know, out because yeah. that actually feels like the phase that I'm in too. Mm, and exactly that's the beauty of it, is that we can when we are still cycling we can practice every yes. autumn we can practice for the menopause the more graceful we can get with that that letting go process and that it's, it's a lot of self-facing in that there's a lot of shadow facing of like really uncomfortable sometimes and and then yeah that if anything i believe that's not faced then is, is going to come out in the menopause and be more challenging so how beautiful that you are experiencing that um that yeah that deep connection to your creativity and enjoying your autumn of your life I'm, I'm like at the end of my summer now basically in terms of whole life cycles so I'm getting I'm getting towards that point yeah mm. oh it's so lovely reflecting on it in these terms yeah yeah I'm hoping I'm really hoping that the listeners can connect in that sense with that mm -hmm. deep awareness of their own self I wonder how many people have never really thought about how their creativity links with their menstrual cycle and at the same time I wonder how this kind of cycle experience applies to men yeah what are yes. your thoughts on that well i've, I've co-facilitated a workshop last year late last year um men in the menstrual cycle for specifically for men with a friend of mine ashana and it was so interesting just hearing from men how they experience not only the cycles of those around them who have who have the menstrual cycle but also their own and i know some people there is some work being done on this by men around how men have their own cycle you know i don't know if it's exactly monthly i think sometimes it is connected with the moon particularly people with strong moon placements if we're going to get astrological but yeah also just noticing those that sometimes men can sync up with the women they're with they can actually start to correspond or the other side it can go is mirroring the reverse so which can be more challenging so i've i found it really helpful to for, for the men in my life to know about this uh, quite essential for them to know about it and, and and they've usually embraced it. all of them have really embraced it and worked with it and looked at it's become an opportunity also like when that winter cave time where i really need to withdraw and be i don't necessarily need to be on my own throughout the whole thing but at least a day or maybe two of complete cave time you know that that can also be a gift for them to give themselves whether this is you know the, the men that came to the workshop were, were men coming because they had daughters not not it wasn't only about partners it was about understanding their daughters or even their colleagues and their friends so i think this knowledge is valuable for everyone and i'm yeah i'm curious to know more about how men what men's cycles are and how they change as well. Gosh, that's fascinating. So let's talk about your writing a little bit more then. So I know you've mentioned the name of your two books. Could you just repeat what those books' names are and tell us a bit more? Hmm. So my first book, uh, which was released in 2016, is Wild Motherhood, Tending the Fire of Your Creative Spirit. And that was an exploration of, what is an exploration of motherhood through the lens of being a creative soulful or spiritual I use the word spiritual at the time person and by which I just mean someone who's on a path of personal growth whether that's you know taking the form of meditation or therapy or dance it didn't really matter which form it takes but it's really about seeking that that depth in life as well as the self-expression of creativity and um, so I interviewed 22 women about their experiences of how motherhood becoming a mother changed their creative path and their soul path and also how it's how it made it both more challenging and also how it might have benefited it, uh, because very often there's new there's whole new creative vistas that open up when 
uh, like you were saying earlier about you know your womb space being a space for gestating all dreams and creativity in our life not just physical children and there's something about when we do open that portal physically that can open the mother to new creativity as well on other levels because it's such a strong initiation and it's such it can be such an experience of both vulnerability and power which i think really is so so part of the creative process there's so much trust and surrender involved and so much letting go of your old identity when you become a mother so a lot of it was about identity and how we redefine ourselves when we cross that threshold of motherhood and then through the different phases of change within motherhood as our children get older and yeah it was such a beautiful experience interviewing these women and bringing this weaving this all together with my story so i used journal entries from my son's first two i started writing the book i think when he was four or five and it took me four years to write it because there just wasn't much time so yeah and and it's amazing because I think at that point when that book came out there wasn't very much being written or said about this at all at that time it was still very taboo for mothers to talk about ever having a moment where they might not be completely thrilled about being a mother that it might be difficult that might feel trapped they might feel frustrated that they can't do the things they used to do if they were professional singers or actors or you know that they, that they had to find new outlets and new ways so that's changed a lot those voices are coming out a lot more now and it was a deep honor recently to be to be contacted by someone who'd read my book now and wanted me to be a speaker on their event so mother uh, mother wild it's called and i was just like wow this is so amazing that people are finding this now and it's still feeding in you know and i think the biggest message of the book is a permission permission to allow all those voices and experiences of motherhood to be validated and be okay and to encourage networks of support amongst mothers to still bring their creative voices because what they have to say is so important so that was my first book and then <laughs> my second book which I released in February is um, The Wild Wandering Arc A Journey Through Van Life Nature and Love so that was a memoir of my year traveling with my partner, my ex-partner in, in a van, rather small van, um, in the British Isles, getting up close to nature and experiencing, yeah, spontaneous living on the edge, you know, really just day to day, not knowing where you're going, what's happening. And it's a lot, it weaves in a lot from my, my healing journey in terms of my childhood trauma and how that was playing out in that situation. And also it being the first time in my life that I'd ever been free from either schooling or university or job or child rearing responsibilities it was the first time at 37 years of age that I could just focus on me and my healing journey I mean I had this partner with me but he was kind of part of that because we were doing that together as well so that book is I'm still kind of in the process of bringing that more out in the world and recording this podcast audio book which I'm very excited about uh, hoping to bring out at some point in the next few months and that book is just so deeply healing and therapeutic for me to write. So just both books were actually helping to integrate those phases of my life and see what, what has actually been the goal that I've discovered through those phases of my life. Yeah. I'm really getting a sense of the you that is now back with the fairy spirits and the tree spirits. <laughs> oh, a proper reconnection back to that, you know, childlike, you know, wonder and yeah. Mm. how lovely that was so key to the van life journey actually because I started to for the first time really look at my my inner child my magical child not just the wounded child but the magical child who was so effortlessly creative and joyful and yeah like you say in wonder 
And um, my partner at the time gave me this little unicorn, like a soft, cuddly toy unicorn to represent that because he wanted to support me with him kind of embodying and integrating that more. And that's been <laughs> the start of an ever-growing unicorn family in my, <laughs> in my caravan. But yeah, it's been very much about really loving that part of myself and reconnecting and allowing her room to play and express. You know, there's a lot of spaciousness. I really love that. And I really want to share that message, you know, with real passion and commitment that this the inner child within you is never gone. Mm. And that's why I start these conversations with a reconnection with that, you know, childhood play memory for Mm. each one of the people who come on here, because I really want people to remember and have seeds planted, you know, to um, reconnect with who they used to be. Because that's the core of the permission for them to come back to it in a creative way, to remember play Mm. and to remember that they're, you know, or to realize that even as an adult, you are so close to being back connected with that essence of yourself. Mm. And then, and that, and it's so healing because it's pure, it's straight through you from source, in my opinion, you know, it's what brings you alive in your eyes. Mm. isn't it it's what brings you alive in every step and in every cell of your body that complete abandonment and surrender to being in the moment and not being not being at all worried about the structures that you think you need to be living up to oh yes or the past and the future I mean how how often are we really in that moment and I feel very blessed where I live now because I'm so surrounded by beautiful nature and flowers and that I can just if I lose that I can just that's where nature is so supportive to remind me to come back into that awe of you know even simple things like recently I went on a night walk you know and just looking at the flowers in the night and and how they look different and just discovering something new. An absolutely beautiful conversation really beautiful so I'd like to invite you uh, to share with our listeners now if they're wondering how to reconnect with themselves with their own natural cycle and to have a deeper understanding about their own creative flow, what would you say to them to help them back onto that journey? Hmm. Well, I'm a big believer in starting where you are and just trying something new, like one little thing that's new and fresh that maybe feels a little bit a little bit edgy, scary, not scary, but something that's out of your comfort zone. And and as part of that, to start creating a network of support, like for me, it was very much the community camps where there was a lot of like sitting around the fire and sharing without judgment, whatever we had to bring creatively um, or going to spoken word events. There's so many different ways. And I, I really, I think it's very helpful to, as I mentioned earlier about having the strong inner critic and perfectionist, I think a lot of people struggle with that. And that's often a block to just beginning and trying things because it's kind of like, what's the point? Or what if it doesn't, you know, what if it doesn't work? Or what do people say? So finding ways of working constructively with your magical inner child and helping them to feel safer as well as working with a critical inner parent and I've discovered a really good book recently called the loving parent guidebook which is helping me a lot with that but really like I think essentially making it fun and linking it with adventure like the artist dates that we're talking about from Julia Cameron's set of tools you know going out and going I'm going to check out you know a new seaside or a new museum or a new fabric shop today and like what is that going to bring and just being open to yeah quite the random I would say and being really gentle like holding the seeds close because they are tender and vulnerable and it's really important I think to share with only with supportive trusted people in the very beginning if you're just starting out on this journey you know like making sure that 
you get that that gentleness as you're nurturing these new seeds and as for the cycle stuff i mean there's so much if, if you have a menstrual cycle just starting with very simply tracking day to day writing down your kind of emotional temperature that day your physical well-being any cravings any you know anything that you notice like what were your dreams like did you have any arguments what was the significant events and as you go over time and notice the patterns of you start to see you discover about yourself what do you like at these different times and how can you start to care for yourself better at those times what do you need so yeah those are some some little starting points Oh, thank you for that. Really beautiful starting points. It's so important what you were just saying there about holding that space gently for yourself. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. These things are these things are shy to come out Mm. and they need to test the water a little bit, don't they? Before they they get a little bit braver to be Mm -hmm. voiced and to be seen and to be heard. And and I, I think I've said this before. They're all a little rehearsal of the possible. So to find that beautiful community or that really gentle listening ear in the first instance you're absolutely right it's really important and to be able to experience that externally then that allows you to internalize that practice for yourself so that you can be that gentle compassionate space holder for your own birthing of things exactly yes yes it's all yeah the practice and and that's why I love creative practice because it's it is bringing you skills you can use in all of your life of continually stepping through sometimes these fear loops and these you know self-doubt things and then coming back into your courage and power and that's so relevant to every endeavor in life and relationship and isn't the basis of well-being is to be more of your authentic self absolutely to be seen to be heard just exactly as you are is Mm. absolutely fundamental to your mental health and well-being love that yes Gosh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for this conversation. It's been really, really beautiful. I've learned a lot. I've learned, I've had a lovely, you know, mm. experience reflecting on what my cycles were and, and where mm. that's taken me. Gosh, thank you so much, Kelsa. That's really beautiful. Thank you, Ricky. I've also discovered a lot. It's been great to talk to you. And I will put your links where people can find your work under where this podcast airs. And um, I really hope that people have gained something from this level of deep introspection that we've had in this conversation. So thank you again.